Hello, welcome to Before It Begins with Carol Barks. I'm excited to have you here today. We have an amazing topic to talk to you about that is just one that is so very near and dear to my heart. And it is really about how our brains handle conflict. So over the next few minutes, I'm going to talk to you about some of the things that I think are so important to conflict and communication so that we can help you learn ways to go through conflict faster or even maybe avoid it to begin with. And one of the things I thought I would start with is telling you about why we even care about this topic at all. So when we are dealing with brain-based approaches to conflict, there are some things that it does for you and for the people with whom you're interacting. And so one of the first things that it does is when you know a little bit about your brain or anyone's brain and why it does what it does, it helps you cut yourself a little bit of slack. So if you have times where you think after a difficult conversation, man, why didn't I say this? Why didn't I do this? Or I just locked up. There's reasons why. And when you understand that, then you can be a little less judgy with yourself. You also can be a little less judgy with other people. And so the really good value in that is you stop labeling people uh, and creating these negative thought patterns that aren't really helpful at all. So it really opens the door to new ways of doing things and new ways of simplifying those difficult conversations that many people are not comfortable with. Uh, you know, typically when you're thinking about conflict, none of us are thinking, man, I really hope I get to have a fight today with somebody or I get to have a, a really difficult conversation. And most people would really like to get those done faster. And I find that when you know a little bit about neuroscience and a little bit about the brain, you can accomplish that so that you can move past the conflict and you can get back to doing the things that you actually would be rather doing. And there's really great reasons why this works. Um, I ran a court mediation program for many years. And what we found is when we use some of these approaches, we could increase our resolution rates of difficult conversations by from something that was around 50% to something that was more like 90%. So when you think about fights that you have, and some of them linger for a long time, right? Let's be honest, maybe we get past the immediate fight, but we still have hard feelings, or we still have saved some of the topics for a different day. When we learn some of these techniques that I'm going to share share with you, then it helps that just be something that we can alleviate quicker and more fully so that it's done, so that we're not saving anything for later. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about my journey because I think it would be helpful as we go through future sessions together and future times that you know where I started. And because uh, neuroscience was not my jam to begin with. So when I was little, I thought that I would be an archeologist or an anthropologist or a paleontologist paleontologist. And instead, I went on to marine biology. So I was in, a, in the science field, but nowhere in what we're talking about today. And when I got out of college, I did exactly what you would expect that I would do. I went right into banking, which, you know, 
not really my jam if you think I'm a science girl. And then I went into computer software for banking and that was better, but still not great. And at that point in time, I uh, was living in the San Francisco Bay Area, but I had grown up in Las Vegas and I was pretty new to the Bay Area. I'd gone to college in San Diego and the Loma Prieta earthquake hit. And in case you're not aware about that earthquake, it was huge. And there was a section of a freeway called the Cypress structure. And that part of the freeway um, collapsed onto itself, pancaked, trapping the cars that were in it and the people that were inside of those cars. And it became a major rescue effort. And when I was in the Bay Area at that time, um, after a disaster, people scatter and they go home to their families. And I didn't have a family at that point or real friends to connect with. So for me, the purpose was finding um, how could I volunteer? How can I find that sense? And so I volunteered for the Red Cross and the Salvation Army. And lo and behold, they stationed me out at that Cypress structure. So I got to watch those rescue efforts from ground zero. And it really intrigued me enough so that I went back to school and got a degree in fire science and then became one of the first female firefighters in the San Francisco Bay Area. And that was my career for many years. And then I transitioned again to something that would be really obvious. I'm sure you could guess it. I started a manufacturing company and we made something called herbal intention bottles and a spa line that we sold uh, internationally. And uh, those herbal intention bottles, nobody knows what they are. Um, but we sold a lot of them, I promise. And so then at that point, my husband moved us to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And if you've ever been there, you know it's not a manufacturing hub. So I had to transition yet one more time. And I created um, a concept that was probably the most logical transition from a manufacturing company that sold to stores. I created a store that was branded to go between William DeLuca and Dean, or William and Sonoma, Dean and DeLuca's Pottery Barn and Creighton and Barrel. And it was um, branded up the center to be Essentials for Living Well. And my uncle, Bill Rosenberg, was the founder of Dunkin' Donuts, and he also was the creator of franchising. And so my mission was to follow in his footsteps. And we were doing just that. Everything was great. I was about three to six months away from the benchmark numbers to duplicate when really I came to the determination that my marriage really wasn't going as well as my business endeavors. And I decided to file for a divorce. And that divorce was really the darkest chapter in my life. It took three and a half years of fighting. Um, part of the loss in that was uh, my business endeavor collapsed and I had to start over. So I started consulting for um, other businesses who wanted me to do what I was doing for my own business in theirs. But I really panicked because I thought, when what happens when people don't know me anymore and somebody's interviewing me to consult for them and they say, man, Carol, why should we hire you? And I say, well, you know, I'm kind of this badass firefighter, marine biologist, and I can totally help you with your business. And I thought, oh, I better go back to school. So I went and got a degree in global leadership and influence and then a master's in conflict management and negotiation. No idea what I was going to do with it other than thinking it might help with this divorce that took three and a half years, and then the ensuing lawsuits that would happen every couple of years, like you get your teeth cleaned, my ex would bring me back to court. And so in that, I knew I needed to recreate, needed to find a new, what am I going to be when I grow up again? And 
if you've tracked with me so far, you know I have no problem with big changes, but at this point I did because I had lost everything. I had lost my home, I had lost my finances, my business, my identity, parts of my family. And as I tried to recreate with my normal type A personality, I would bump up against my own glass ceiling. And when I would do that, I'd realize, man, I can't get past it because I've lost everything. If I rebuild, I could lose it again and that became scary. So that brought me into discovering the world of neuroscience. And then I was able to learn how to leverage my brain to recreate and grow to where I'm at now. And I was able to overlap that into the conflict resolution work I was doing by mediating and training and teaching. And then we realized that using those principles, there were faster ways to um, manage conflict really well. And so today I want to tell you about three of those things to just get you started. And so there's three main topics. One I want to talk to you about is that stressed brains really don't work very well. I also want to talk to you about perceptions and how they are faulty. And then I want to talk to you about how the lack of information that we have creates evil plot twists that do not help you through the situation that you're having. So when we're talking about stressed brains, what I'd like you to know is that when your brain gets activated, there's a part of your brain that are, is called the amygdala, or there's amygdalae, there's two of them, and they are responsible for your freeze, fight, or flight part of your brain. But they're also really interested in keeping you safe and removing you from danger fast and with the least amount of effort. So when they trigger, what they do is they move blood from things that you don't need, like your digestive tract or your reproductive organs, and move it into your arms or to your legs so that you could fight or flee if you needed to. But they do one other thing that is not so great when we're having a dialogue. It shuts down a thinking part of our brain called the prefrontal cortex, which is where we have kind of our genius decision-making part of our brain. So if you've ever had a conflict where you walk away from it and you think, dang it, why didn't I say this? I, or I should have said that. That's because your brain was not open for business. And so when you're having conflicts, it's okay to pause. We used to be told that, you know, never go to bed angry or that we've got to deal with this in the moment, but it's okay to notice that you're activated. And it's okay to say, I need a few minutes to get right back into where you're thinking. And whether or not you do that freeze fight or flight thing really depends on how your brain, your unconscious brain assesses that, that threat and how you're going to get through it. So really your brain first would like to freeze the next, because that's the easiest thing. If I can just freeze and the conflict goes by, we're golden, right? There's not a lot of energy there. But then from there, the next thing our brains would really prefer for us to do is to flee. So if we can get out of the way and not have to deal with it, that would be choice two. And then the last would be the fighting because that's the, um, 
area where we actually could be damaged the most. But you probably all can think of people who really go right off to that fight mode. And that's really because their brain has learned to adapt that that's something that's effective to them. You know, so oftentimes for bullies, if we, you know, power over somebody, people back off, people give us what we want. And, and that's really what's happening there. So I'll give you an example of a story when I first started dating my current husband. And I deal with conflict all the time, and I really, really like talking about it, and I like helping people through it. But I noticed when he and I had some of our beginning of relationship conflicts, we would be like, say we were over here having a conversation, I would flee, I would be out. And so the only thing that would happen, he'd follow me, was that the conflict was over here and it would go back and forth. And I started realizing because we have this ability to observe our brains, which can impact the behaviors that we have if we stay mindful of them. I started noticing, wow, for him, I'm a fleer. And so then we'd have a conversation. We're over here. I would start fleeing. He would follow. And I'd go, man, Carol, you're fleeing. And I'd go, you're damn right I'm fleeing. And I am still out. You know, and so I'd go right over here and it would go back and forth again. But over time, I could notice that more to where I could articulate to him, you know, for whatever reason, when you and I have a conflict, I go into flee for my fight or flight mode. And so if you just let me go and don't follow me, give me just a few minutes to get my brain back activated, I can re-enter and we can have a better conversation. So how do you notice these things? You notice by those physiological cues. For me, when I get stressed, my voice starts cracking. Um, I could start tearing up if it's a really serious high stakes conversation for me. Other people shake or some people get red and flushed. Uh, some people start doing what's called eye blocking where they blink a lot. If you notice that in others or you notice it in yourself, pause. You don't have to barrel through these conversations and you slow down. And so even just slowing down your voice can slow down your brain and can slow down the brain of the other person. So those are great things that you can do to make it so you can access that brilliant information that you have and those thoughts you want to share. So moving on from that, I wanted to talk also about perceptions. And so when we're talking about perceptions, they're really based off of the premise that our brains like to not spend a lot of energy. So of all the energy that we have in any given day, our brains utilize 20 to 25% of that. And so even though our brains only weigh about three pounds, that's they're hungry, right? Um, but they're based off of a caveman development. And so they don't want to use all that energy in case they have to fight off a saber-toothed tiger or a warring tribe. And so even though we're not dealing with those things now, our brains do it the same way all the time with the same intensity. And so what happens is our brains look for pattern recognition. And when something happens, our brains go, hmm, this feels like something that happened in the past. So in the case of my conflicts early on with my husband, the pattern was that my biggest hit in my life, my biggest loss was my previous husband. And so now I'm considering letting somebody else take that role of my intimate partner. And my brain says, mm, that didn't go so well last time. So I think we should just be out. 
threat. And it doesn't mean that my current husband has that same threat response to me, but my brain just superimposes it because it looks familiar. So sometimes you're reacting to not even your certain this situation that's happening right now, but you're responding to something that your brain remembers from the past. Your brain also does a lot of filtering of information. So it's looking for information that it thinks is important to you. So I'll give you an example that I know that you can relate to. Um, one, for me, when I wanted to become a firefighter, I didn't grow up wanting to become a firefighter. But once I decided, I started seeing fire engines everywhere. And it wasn't that somebody all of a sudden put a new fleet out just for me, which would be fun to think about, right? But not realistic. How you would have experienced this is if you've ever gone to buy a new vehicle or you're thinking of buying a new vehicle and you're like, what do I want? What do I want? And you think, oh, I want a Range Rover. And all of a sudden you start seeing Range Rovers everywhere. You know what I'm talking about? I'm sure you do. And that's exactly what happens because your brain now says, oh, this is important. And so now I'm going to show those to you where last time they were just peripheral. And so with that in mind, if I think that you're a jerk, I'm going to look for that information that supports that and influences that. But that means I'm also filtering out all those opportunities that might show you as somebody who maybe was a jerk at a point and is now trying to turn over a new leaf and really work on improving relationships with me. So I want you to stop fighting with people about even how things played out because we know from research that even if we had two twins standing right next to each other and observing a situation, they would observe different things. There would be things that they would see that the other twin didn't see because they're oriented towards different information. So when you have arguments with people and they say, this is what happened, and you say, that is not what happened, this is what happened, and then you go back and forth and what there's two things that are problems. One is now you're not arguing about what can get you past this conflict and you're never going to agree because you have these different perspectives. So what I want you to do is stop doing that. Like just stop it. Like just let that go and instead be curious about what somebody else's perspective is. Because when you come into any conflict, which is really a negotiation, you already know what you want to have happen. You already know what your belief structure is. And really the best way through is to be more curious about the other person. So stop trying to write fight and really understand where they're coming from. But I also want you to move yourself to the future because that perception part really does nothing other than to give you more to argue about and keep you off track from the value of moving forward to getting past the conflict in there. And so one of the last things that I really want to talk to you about is um, evil plot twists with lack of information. So our brains, again, back to trying to keep us safe and back to that pattern recognition are really about um, trying to know what we can anticipate and really wanting the information so that it can keep us safe based off of what it knows 
has been safe for us before. But when we're doing change or when there's something that's uncertain, our brain creates what I call evil plot twists. And if you think about it, a good example would be if you've ever had a boss that says, hey, can I see you in my office? Nobody goes, woohoo, I'm getting a raise. You know, most of us go, shit, what happened? You know, I must, I must have done something wrong. What did somebody tell them? How did this happen? And it doesn't even really matter if you were like just given employee of the year, like the week before, you get stressed and stressed chemicals get released in your brain. And when that happens, then those amygdala start firing and you now are losing any ability to have these reasonable, intelligent conversations that you want want to have. So the rule of thumb for this is really if you are the person who is asking somebody into your office, tell them why. Can I talk to you for a minute um, in my office? I wanted to talk about the budget. So they're not doing this walk that's potentially to the um, you know, death sentence for them. They know what's going on. And likewise for you, Connect those dots, ask those questions if you don't have all the information and realize that it is normal that when you don't have it all, we go to this negative spot and which is why we sometimes don't like change because our brains can't predict that. So these are all normal things that happen with our brains. And so what I really want you to think about is how do you employ these? We're talking about stressed brains don't work. We're talking about your perceptions are faulty. And we're talking about the uncertainty and the unknown is really scary. And we always take that negative. And so what I want you to do is think about how can I manage these things better? Well, I want to use a chance to talk when my brain's best at that. So maybe the best part of the day for me, I'm a morning person. So after I've woken up and I'm fresh, this is a super time to have a conversation for me. But if I'm talking with somebody who's a night owl, who really doesn't even wake up until they've had a you know bunch of coffee and it's 1030, 1130, I don't want to have a first morning conversation with them because I'm much easier to fall back into these patterns and really just make sure that you give yourself breaks. You give yourself the chance to move away from these. You could have walking meetings because our brains do really well with oxygen. In fact, um, this random quick fun fact is when our brains are really developing, the average male walked 15 to 20 miles a day and the average female walked 10 to 12 miles a day. So our brains work really well when they're oxygenated. So maybe if we have a tough conversation, we do it while we're walking. Or maybe you do this when before you have the conversation so that your brain really has that ability to do what you need it to do when you're in these moments that can be really challenging to you. Wow, we sure covered a lot today. I felt like I was talking a million miles a minute in wanting to get you all this information that I'm so passionate about. And I talk about these conversations and topics daily. And hopefully you can see that I'm so passionate about them and so excited to share them with you. So I'm really grateful that you spent this time with me. If this is something that you find intriguing and you want to learn more about it and take a deeper dive, please subscribe. 
to this podcast so that you can not miss another moment with me. And even if you have something deeper that struck you that you think, man, I might maybe learn, like to learn a little bit about this for my team or for myself, or maybe this could be a great keynote speech, or maybe we could do some training together. Please know that my team and I are always interested in having these conversations because the more we share this information and the more we all scale, the better off we will all be as humans. And that is what drives me every day. So if any of this is intriguing, definitely subscribe or reach out to me um, and my team. You can go to carolbarks.com or you can go to the neuromediationgroup.com and we will happily have a dialogue about how we might connect together. So I'm going to sign off for right now. I'm Carol Barks with Before It Begins and I look forward to talking to you in the future.